Merkel Media. You think that I'm running in place? Y'all really testing my patience. Right before I blow up the spot, I had to get back to the basics. What if my talent is wasted? It's sick, but I'm lacking a placement. Thoughts as I rap in the basement, but my come up is legend, is greatness. I don't care now, it's pedal to the metal. I can never quit now, I will never settle. Puppet to the game, I'm pulling strings like Geppetto. We in the same game, but I'm on a different level. I passed it. Gotta keep grinding till I'm laid up in the casket. No fake round, but you feeling too plastic. Yeah, y'all feeling too plastic. They say my style crazy, but then it's straight jacket. Wow. Why you still testing my patience? Trying to turn me into something I ain't trying to be. All the hate is a heavy rotation. You gon' lose yourself, quit testing me. Don't make me lose my mind. Don't make me lose my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Run it back, nation. What is good? It is DJ Eastwood, run it back, Philly. No frauds, no fanboys, no intros, even though the Sixers were frauds tonight. This is Trill Bro Dude from the You Know Ball podcast. He's going to help me uh, complain about what just happened. Um, Yeah, uh, what's going on, man? Tell the people who you are for those that don't know. Tell the people who you are about the podcast and everything. So I'm Trill Bro Dude. You can follow me at Trill Bro Dude. Um, you know Ball Podcast. It started as a Sixers podcast. We mainly focused on the team and then since has grown into a bit more. So we talk about the Sixers a lot, but we mostly talk about uh, NBA trades, uh, which is our big thing, slop. We're in the middle of slop season right now. And uh, yeah, so it's been a very entertaining week or two over on the podcast. And, uh, you know, kind of all culminating with the uh, Kyrie Irving trade today to the Mavericks. But, uh, yeah, very disappointed after that Sixers game, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about some of that around the NBA stuff towards the end of this. But, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for joining me. Uh, first, <laughs> yeah, before we get to any of the fun stuff that happened in the NBA, uh, something not fun just happened. The Philadelphia 76ers lose to the New York Knicks 108 to 97 um and i'll just start it off by saying uh given my initial uh reaction to the game then you can give yours and then we'll go from there um for the sixers to come out hot come out with high energy uh come out with um good defense in in the first half of the first quarter 75 percent of the first quarter are up by 21 points um and the knicks couldn't buy a bucket i know that had part to do with it and then they you know started to make runs and get hot at certain points in the game but you're up by 21 points in the first quarter I've been saying the biggest thing with this team is surviving the non-Embiid minutes Joel Embiid sits down uh, towards the end of the first quarter and in three minutes they blow an entire 21 point (laughs) lead and it is a three point game a couple minutes into into the second quarter Montrez Harrell Montrez, I lost my I lost my headphones again. There we go. Uh sorry, I've been having a headphone issue. Now I can't hear myself. Come on. Come on. Where are you at? 
There we go. All right. Oh, yeah. Montrez Harrell at the end of the first quarter was a minus 15 in one minute. One minute. He was a minus 15. It's unreal. And then Doc uh, had to accept the fact that that wasn't working and had to play my, uh, uh, Paul Reed the rest of the game, which didn't end up making a huge difference. But I feel like if you didn't blow an entire 21-point lead in a couple of minutes, you, you stood a chance of maintaining a lead throughout the rest of this game. But uh, that's not that's not the main reason they lost. That's one of the things that I hated about it. And then the fourth quarter, same story for me in a lot of Sixers losses this season. Uh, out-hustled, out-rebounded, lack of discipline, turnovers. Um, for for Jericho Sims there towards the end to get an offensive rebound on his own free throw and put it back in, it was like okay. I mean, they cut it to eight points with a with, with a little over a minute left. I've seen crazier things happen, and they shot themselves in the foot again. So, uh, a disappointing loss. I don't think I'm going to overreact totally, but definitely a disappointing loss in a game that they should have won. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I. I... It's tough for me because like when we get around this time in February and March, I kind of stop taking the losses to heart as much, but it definitely has shown the same kind of fundamental issues that plague the team for sure, which is mainly the rebounding thing, which has now been a two year adventure of the team not having honestly, even when Joel is out there like Joel, not actively participating in rebounding Tobias being horrible at boxing out, not hustling for rebounds. Um, you know, PJ Tucker, one of the reasons why they acquired Tucker and Melton was to help with these kind of things. And that really has not solved the issue by any means. Uh, that's the most frustrating part to me of this game. Uh, you know, I was frustrated over the backup center thing. Obviously Montrez played horribly again, which I've said time and time again, the only time you can trust Montrez to have a decent game is when you're playing against like the Charlotte Hornets or the Washington Wizards or one of the mid to bad teams that he played against or played for in the past <laughs> seems to only be playing well in the games that truly don't matter at all. Um, and in any sort of regular competition, whether it's against a basically a non lottery team, uh, Montrez is going to be virtually unplayable. Uh, he's proven that. Time and time again this season, you know, Paul Reed, uh, love B-Ball Paul, but it's just like between the fouling, the lack of consistency on offense, you know, he does help us regarding the rebound rebounding issue. He's one of the best competitive rebounders in the NBA, but there are a lot of other warts in his game that make it very clear that he's not going to be the solution at backup center, especially for this team. So I I am kind of like I can't really be too mad because they've won 20 coming into tonight they were 22 and 5 in their last 27 games. They've won some really competitive games. They've won a lot of close games. They've won games against good competition and they tend to do this thing still where they don't really get up for certain games, but it's 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 troubling only because it's the second game in a week that they have blown a 20 point lead and with the Sixers history and with all of the same things plaguing the team, especially 
in a night like tonight where like honestly kind of everyone looked like shit like i know that they were winning early and it, it looked great but everyone looked a little bit discombobulated tonight it was kind of a, a something across the board like Embiid was not good in the second half despite the fact that he was like a plus 20 on the game or whatever uh so so overall uh you know it, it's only concerning because it might be it's becoming a pattern but overall i'm I don't know. I, I can't really care too much about a February loss when the team is, you know, playing as well as it has been recently. And also when when the competition is better, they have shown that they can get up for those big games. And there's yeah. two games and it's just like, I, I don't know. And I, I and once again, like we talked about it, like the biggest problem that they have is backup center, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the one thing that they've been leaking to the media all week? Yeah. Like, leading to the media, we're getting a backup center. Wait, mm-hmm. Regardless of what happens this week, the Sixers will have a new backup center in a week. Whether it solves the problems, I don't know. But the fact that they are at least willing to admit and address it is a positive sign to me. Yeah, I guess, like, how did they not address that in the offseason, you know? Or did Daryl Morey actually think that Montrez Harrell was the prototypical or, or the solution at backup center? You know, they released Charles Bassey, who's not really getting, I think he's in the G League now. Uh, in San Antonio's G League affiliate. But so, you know, I can't really harp too much on, on Charles, the release of Charles Bassey, because it's not like he's out there getting regular rotation minutes in San Antonio. He he plays like once in a blue moon and has, uh, you know, a bunch of rebounds that everyone freaks out about. Them. But the more I see him not playing in San Antonio, I can't really continue to harp on that. I'm just wondering, like, what did they actually do in the offseason to fix the backup center situation? Or did they really think... Montrez Harrell was the answer, you know, and and I overhyped it. Um, uh, but uh, my friend Romp right away, right when it happened, he said, "This is terrible." Doc's yeah, gonna I was play not him a fan. ton. <laughs> Doc's gonna play him a ton. He got fired in L.A. basically for playing him a ton in that yeah. in that playoff series. Uh, and he predicted it on the money. And um, I wasn't listening to you back then, but I'm uh judging by you know some of the things you've said since I've been listening to you. I would assume sure. that you kind of called that on the money, also. The Doc Rivers Montrez Harrell thing. I just can't figure out what they did in the offseason. And now, before the trade deadline, they have to try to fix the backup center spot. Yeah. So I kind of was, I actually had a tweet a month before Montrez was signed by the Sixers. And I said, the Sixers are going to sign Montrez Harrell to a minimum and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I literally called it from a mile away, like the, basically the second that it was obvious that he wasn't going back to the Hornets. Uh, but I, I I did say it like this when when he first was signed. I said, um, you know, as an innings eater in the regular season against, like I said, not great competition, I'm sure he will be fine. Uh, but I also said, I think that you should make moves with the playoffs in mind because we know that the Sixers can be a good regular season team. We know the Sixers can win 50 games. We know this. Uh-huh. The, the history has shown that they are one of the three or four best teams in the East every single year when they have relatively decent health. So. No one really cares about that. And, and and it is important to have inning eaters in the regular season to keep your stars fresh for the playoffs. And that was the thought process in my head of why they made the signing was, okay, we're going to roll out there and we're going to have PJ Tucker. We're going to have Paul Reed and we're going to have Montrez Harrell. And between the three of them, we should be able to find a regular season solution to keep Joel Embiid as fresh as possible for the playoffs. We won't have to play in big minutes. He won't have to play a ton of games. He's going to be more focused, less on winning the MVP and more on getting to the playoffs. Well, that's not necessarily really been the case. He's still playing pretty large number of minutes. He isn't missing a ton of games. And Montrez, 
while Paul Paul Reed has regressed in some departments, you know, he's fouling eight times per 36 minutes this year, which is just completely unsustainable for a guy that needs to play real minutes in the regular season. And then PJ Tucker being completely unplayable at the five, where he has been somewhat playable in his Houston and Milwaukee days at the five in the past is definitely kind of part of the reason why the Montrez thing looks so bad in retrospect. But like the reality is you can't really get a lot of, good centers for the veterans minimum. Like I think we got a little bit spoiled with Andre Drummond uh, Mm -hmm. last year, like Mm -hmm. Drummond being the most competent backup that we've probably had in the Embiid era was a little bit of fool's gold in terms of what the center market can really bring you in free agency. If you only have access to the uh, veterans minimums at that point, the the real issue is that they spent the biannual exception on Daniel house who is not even an NBA player. Like he's barely, he's not in the rotation. He's at best a 12th man, like a guy who you could just occasionally throw out there. And if they had used those resources to get a backup center, then that might, the conversation might be a little bit different, but now I'm looking at it more like there are a few guys that are out there this week. And we know that this is proven to not work. So in order to resolve the backup center issue, they need to look at what they can get now. And Maury has done this in the past where he diagnoses problems with the team halfway through the season, and then he goes out and he gets whoever. But the large majority of guys we probably would have got would not have helped us any more than Montrez. But if you had not used that on Daniel House, you would probably be in a better position because you at least would have had something to offer to a backup center that could have potentially come in and you know really helped the team. Yeah, that Daniel House signing for uh, that, that was that was a, an L for Daryl Murray. That was a that was a loss. Um, I, I, he was really just he was really just in a in a uh, had blinders on and could only see former Houston Rockets players that used to catch <laughs> catch and shoot off of James Harden assists. And he was just just get every player that ever played with James Harden and we'll sign him. And, and they were like, but he's not very good anymore. He's like, just sign him. He's going to be good again. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the Daniel House when that one was crazy. He's a wing um, and he's athletic, and that's what we kind of thought we needed. And like, yeah. while that is true, he's not particularly very good at basketball. <laughs> like, well, that, <laughs> ba- basketball players age quickly. You know, yeah. the, the the difference between twenty five and thirty five is massive. And if you were great in two thousand sixteen, that doesn't mean you're can still do it in, in you know six years later, seven years later, whatever it was. So. Uh, yeah, and that, really, that even with House, he only had like one and a half good seasons. So, like, yeah. the large majority of his career showed that he's more of a fringe rotation player than like a a guy you can rely on. But once again, they just didn't have a lot to work with. Like, if they if they had went a different route with the MLE instead of going PJ Tucker and got like Bruce Brown or something or someone of that ilk, then you might have been able to kind of not really care as much about the Daniel House thing. But like. The issue is that you sign PJ and while PJ has had up and down results so far, uh, you gave all of you gave the entire mid-level exception for him. And Mm -hmm. that is your one resource to truly improve the team. And I don't know. I I would say that it's been more of a miss than a hit, but we're hoping that he can maybe turn things up for the playoffs. Yeah, the backup center spot. Yeah, you're right about the Andre Drummond thing. We got spoiled, and and then and then our standards are are that for a backup center. Like we need Andre Drummond back, or we need somebody that can do what Andre Drummond did. And at the time, 
I don't know if he is anymore. Again, he's not really getting uh, rotation in in Chicago, whether it's matchups or just how they like to go small when Vucevic sits or something like that. But no, that's uh, uh, my buddy who's a Bulls fan said that's the exact same the thing. Like they they go small when Vuce, and it's not even like Drummond's been yeah. fine when he can uh, play. It's just that Donovan doesn't doesn't like to go. Yeah, he has games where like in four minutes he has like five points and nine rebounds. Yeah, uh, off the bench. So yeah, but but uh. You know, I think he at the time he was a starting level center, probably at 27, 28 years old when we had him backing up Joel Embiid. So we were lucky there. Realistically, a backup center, it's not it's just not going to be a star NBA player. It just has to be an athletic rebounder who can defend a little bit and survive the game for 12 minutes. And I just can't figure out how it was that hard to find. I see you see teams like the Orlando Magic or whoever that have 10. 611 dudes on the roster. <laughs> I just it blows my mind that this Sixers team has one player taller than six foot nine, and it's Joel Embiid. One single player taller than six foot nine on an NBA roster. That's wild to me. Where's the yeah. seven footers at? Where's all the big dudes? You know? Well, I don't get it. I also think that uh, this is something that we've kind of talked about ad nauseum on my podcast, which is that the 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 thing is when you get to the playoffs. A lot of backup centers, like, because everyone will say, well, Drummond can't play in the playoffs. And then I'm like, well, there are like, there's like zero backup centers who can play in the playoffs. Like, yeah, right, like, exactly. like, I mean, even starting centers get played off the court. Like, Steven Adams is a good NBA player and he could not play in the Timberwolves series last year. Like, that's just kind of the reality of what most bigs are in the modern NBA when you get to the playoffs and it's a lot of wings who can shoot, create guards who are playing bigs off the court constantly. And I I find that there are a few options out there now, I think, that would be able to stay on the court in the playoffs that the Sixers could get. And I think that the thought process behind getting the guys that they got was most teams, like I, I put it like this, if you look at our rivals in the Eastern Conference, the Celtics, the, uh, the Bucks, and yeah. the Cavs, those three teams specifically, if you look at those teams, they all have power forwards who can shift down a position to center in the playoffs. The Sixers got PJ Tucker thinking that they could do that. And that's proven not to really be the case, but that is an advantage that we have tried in the past with Al Horford. Horford had one of the worst years of his career. He looked wash. He's, he's bounced back since he's left that he went to Oklahoma city and Boston. And like, you could put Mobley at the five. You could put Horford at the five. You could put Giannis at the five. The Sixers yeah. don't have an option that is a small ball option that they can really rely on. And I think that that's something that this this thing with the backup center thing has now given them a disadvantage in the regular season and in the postseason. Because we've seen how many fucking backup centers on the Sixers we get to the playoffs. And I know a lot of those guys were not good players by the, th well, by the time they were on the Sixers. DeAndre Jordan was washed. Greg Monroe was washed. Oh, yeah. Boban, whoever you rolled out there. But the thing is, at a certain point, you do have to realize that when your best player is off the court in Joel Embiid, your team's just not going to be nearly as good. Mm -hmm. You need to basically, as you said, survive those minutes, figure out an alternative. And I do think that the thought process behind getting a P.J. Tucker isn't the worst thing in the world. It's just that P.J. is just not the same player he was. And he can't play that small ball five and go five out and, and have that advantage. They need to find someone who can. And I think that that is the number one priority at this deadline is finding a four who can play the five or a five that is athletic and mobile enough to stay on the court in the playoffs. And there are two guys that I think of when, that, that when I bring that up. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that definitely. Uh, PJ had a had a good defensive game against Jokic. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess it probably has to do with matchups for him. But you know, guys that are that are a lot bigger and more athletic. Uh, you know, yeah, him just being six five. It doesn't matter how hard he tries. He's only six five. You know, I remember the Porzingis game against when he was in Washington. I think I don't even know where Porzingis is at this point, but he was just shooting over PJ Tucker like he was a lawn chair in a driveway. <laughs> and I was like, "This is what we're doing at backup center." You know, he's he's just six foot five. That's just is what it is. You can't get around that. So, yeah, the 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 backup center thing is uh, it's something that you know. Hopefully, we try our best to fix at the deadline. But at least it's something that they are basically admitting that they have to fix, not like you know, well, Doc's going to figure it out or or, or I'm going to roll with Trez and this is what it's going to be. At least we know that I think they're going to try to make a move. Do you think it has to be somebody that Daryl Morey thinks that Doc Rivers will play? You know what I mean? Like, it, can it, That's it, true. Yeah, it's, it's it's important to consider. Because I see players like Jericho Sims. I see players like, you know, these dudes that, that, and, that come up that are just young and can jump out of the gym and it's just, is Doc going to play him? Or does it have to be a 31-year-old veteran that he trusts trust is everything with doc rivers you know what it's I mean? true yeah no you're you're definitely right there i would say i mean look i think that any decision that is made at this deadline doc will have input he has input on the roster and uh-huh. if there are if there is a guy that maury i'll put it like this if there's a guy that maury thinks can really move the needle and is a viable playable backup big whether it's a four or five whatever it is he needs to trade Montrez Harrell if he thinks that there's any chance that Doc could play Montrez over him because we know the Montrez thing never works in the playoffs. He's historically been one of the worst playoff performers of the past decade. Like it's every time he's on the court, his team bleeds points. He's actually been a pretty positive regular season player, and it's not even really he's not even really there anymore due to the kind of the decline in athleticism, the things that you talked about. Um, so I just I, I think that there are there are two guys that I, I that I'm sure we'll get into that I really think would be fantastic when it comes to this. And I think that if they are available and they're at a reasonable price and Maury can acquire them, there will have to be some sort of conversation or else Doc Rivers will be gone after the year. Like it's just like you, we yeah. can't do we can't do the same things over no. and over and respect expect different results. Right. I think he's going to be gone at the end of the year anyway. If I really had to predict it, when people ask me I, if I had to, like, if it was a bet that I had to make, I would I would say uh, something deep into the playoffs, decision-wise, is going to happen within a seven-game series that's going to get Doc Rivers up out of here. I, I've been thinking that this whole season. Kind of predicted it last season. Uh, but, you know, then we get a new version of James Harden or, or a more in-shape, energized, bouncy version of James Harden and Maxi year three. and Anthony Melton so the teams you know some things happen and I'm like all right maybe you know maybe maybe it's not but uh I would I just wouldn't be shocked if if you know they they fall short and Doc Rivers does get fired at the end of the season I I hope you know they they give him I I hate saying give him what he needs because it has to be again it's like such a specific player because it has to be a player that he trusts and that he plays but I would love for them to give him what he needs and him go win a championship with the Sixers but you know we'll just see if it happens uh Tyrese Maxey in this game was interesting to me that most of the fourth quarter, the end of the fourth quarter, when you needed scoring, I think, uh, Tyrese Maxey wasn't on the floor. And then Doc Rivers puts Tyrese Maxey in the game with a minute and 40 seconds left. And he he 
is aggressive with the ball, gets fouled, goes to the free throw line, gets the lead down to eight with a little bit over a minute, uh, and they ultimately fail. But they had, you know, they forced a turnover right after that. Um, I just can't see why Tyrese Maxey wasn't in the in the fourth quarter. I know it's the the, the Anthony Melton is a two way player, but this whole Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench thing was supposed to be. Uh, it helps him. It helps Doc stagger him. I guess it gives him moments in a game where he's the the featured player on the court. Uh, but if he's only going to get 22 minutes in a game, 23 minutes in this game, he was four for eight. Uh, I mean, I just can't figure it out. I know he was a minus a lot. The whole bench was yeah. minus 20 plus. But what do you think about Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench? Do you like it? Because I hated it when it first started. Because I thought he's. I thought when James Harden got on this team last year. Tyrese Maxey's game went to a new level with on the floor with James. And then we start this season. Tyrese Maxey's averaging 25, 26 points per game the first couple of games of the season alongside James Harden. Everybody gets injured. They all come back for inju- from injury. Maxey comes back from injury after a month and a half off the bench. Then he's starting. Then he has a, a couple of bad games and he's back on the bench. I just, I don't know if I like this Tyrese Maxey off the bench thing. I think he's a great number three and he should, and I think he's best when he's beside. James and Joel, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm—I'll be honest. I thought Maxi was terrible tonight. I love Maxi with all my heart. Uh, I thought that he played a really, really bad game tonight, and uh, he's had a few recently. Um, he's literally my favorite player to watch on the team. I've said in the past, I was—I I got a lot of shit from Sixers fans last year when Donovan Mitchell was available, and I said, "Look, I love Maxi, and I hope that he's a Sixer forever. But if you want a realistic upgrade," What Donovan Mitchell was in Utah is probably the max capped out ceiling of what uh, Tyrese Maxey can be as an NBA player. And if if your goal is to win a title and contend, then you should probably explore those kind of trades. Now, I don't want to trade him because, like I said, he's my favorite player to watch. We drafted him. I loved him pre-draft. He's been my guy forever. But there has been certain holes in his game that have been a little bit exposed. And I think part of it does do with the fact that he is coming off the bench now from, cause he's not like, I, I I've said this time and time again, I think that people see scorer and they say six man yep. when, when historically the most successful six men in NBA history have actually not been just scorers, but also great playmakers, Manu Ginobili, Lou Williams, guys that come off the bench and can be instant offense aren't just guys that come off the bench and just give you 20 in a game. They're guys who can run a a pick and roll. They're guys who can orchestrate an offense. And historically speaking, and to this point in his career, Maxi has not been that guy. Maxi is more of an off-ball threat. He Mm -hmm. is more of a catch-and-shoot threat. He is more of one of the greatest guys at attacking at closeouts in the NBA. Now, Saying, having said all that, it is a little bit of a clunky fit because of the defense, for sure. Like that, that is the one part where I can understand why you might want to split up those two because Melton provides you with, you know, more j- just everything on the defensive end, to be yeah. completely honest. Uh, perimeter defense. Everything. Sure. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I do wonder how, how much more it would be survivable for a hardened maxi backcourt if and i actually think tobias's defense has been fantastic this year uh overall um and uh you know pj it comes and it goes but he has certain games where but if they really had like defensive wing specialists that could unlike thibel they could stay on the court offensively like if you were to take a Jaden mcdaniels from minnesota 
or a uh, Dorian Finney-Smith who was traded today. Just like off-ball menace guys that kind of can get into passing lanes, that can kind of you know turn the ball over more often, can lock up on the perimeter when they switch out there. That might be a little bit more feasible, but with the way that the Sixers' current roster is constructed, I understand why they want to have more defense out there, but I do worry that it might stunt a little bit of Maxi's development as an offensive player, because I think what his best role is, is playing off of those stars. Like that, yeah. He is the best when he has the ability to do that. Part of, I think part of it is the coaching staff, part of it is, but also part of it is Maxi. Because when you put Maxi out there with those guys, as great as it sounds in theory, we've seen time and time again, if he's not directly involved in an action, he kind of gets passive. Yep. He kind of he kind of tends to drift over into the corner and just he's fine with shooting spot ups and whatever. When in reality, we should be running more actions with Maxi with the ball when they're on the court with Maxi coming off of screens. Like I've mm-hmm. been a big proponent of turning Maxi into a movement shooter and just trying right. to use, like we tried to use George Niang as a movement shooter this year. And Niang's one of the best spot up guys in the NBA. He cannot shoot off movement at all. We have not run pin downs for Maxi. We have not nope. run any sort of actions off of the ball for Maxi. That is not just a basic dribble handoff with Joel and B. Right. And right. I think that, that kind of thing could definitely get him more involved and take the Sixers offense from being like a good offense to a virtually unstoppable offense. And yeah. that that's the one thing that is a little bit frustrating to me. The starters versus whatever doesn't really matter to me. Like, does he come off the bench? Does he start? I, I just want to see him playing starters minutes and closing, but it is possible that we have now got to the point where like, there are going to be certain matchups where it is just better to play bigger and play Melton and play defensive guys and that's possible that we get to the playoffs and we see that. But we also know that Maxie's had, what, he's in his in his first two years, he had at least three iconic playoff moments I can think yeah. of. Uh-huh. And like, like there are going to be matchups where I think that Maxie's foot speed and his ability to play off the ball with the Stars would be massively beneficial to the Sixers offense. And I think that they should, I think they should just be open to being flexible at all times with, with Maxie and with Melton and who plays what, because as much as I wanted the three guard lineup to work, the results so far have been really bad from the three guard lineup. And I, I was really disappointed by that, to be honest. Yeah. I've, I've been saying that the actions for Maxie thing for a while, because, you know, when you think about how quick he is at getting to the rim and how much he can score, um, in like ISO situations, because that's really the only opportunities he gets to score. He's just put out there and it's like, okay, you know, again, I think Glenn doc rivers thinks that he is uh, a a shot creator. And I just think he needs to be in situations to help him get to the rim. And, and, and he's so quick getting to the rim. Imagine Tyrese Maxey coming off of, you know, double screens and, and whatever else these, a lot of creative things that, it would just be, it would take his game to another level. And yeah, it just seems like whether he's on with Harden and, and Embiid or he's in off the bench and playing with some kind of mixed matched bench lineup, yeah, it just seems like the only scoring opportunities he has, he has to try to create for himself. It doesn't seem like the offensive game plan has really ever, you know, uh, tried to just put him in scoring situations. By, yeah. like play design so and, that is and, that and, is frustrating and to be fair the sixers system in general really lacks movement <laughs> it doesn't yeah. like guys kind of tend to like it's we have a, our bread and butter actions which are you know joel iso in the post yeah. uh we have the pick and roll with Harden running it 
We have some dribble handoff stuff with Joel, not quite as much as before, but like the fact that there is such a lack of movement in the Sixers offense kind of is not super beneficial. And honestly, the only time I view it as having any sort of movement off of the ball, any sort of actions is when the bench units are in. Which is like, yeah. which is so frustrating to me because it's like uh-huh. you're running all of these like staggered screens and pin downs and all this stuff, but never when the stars play. And it's like I understand that the pick and roll is super effective, but you have to have versatility to your offense mm-hmm. to keep teams guessing. And like, honestly, I'm actually less worried about the offense in the playoffs. Uh, I'm more worried about the defense. And yeah. Maxi's a big part of that. Maxi's defense has not been better; it's been worse no. this year. Yeah. And and I think that he needs to be. He really needs to kind of take a step up. It's it's not only like, and the one thing is like, everyone always talks about how small he is. And it's like, there are small defenders in the NBA that like, Emmanuel Quickly is a good example. Like, yeah. Emmanuel Quickly is like a pretty competent defender. Like, he's not getting bullied on the ball. He's a smart team defender. Like, all this stuff. Like, Maxi is not only small, but he makes a ton of errors pretty yeah. frequently in a game. Like, tonight, there was a perfect example of Jalen Brunson bringing the ball up. With Evan Fournier, I believe, was standing in the corner. It might have been Quentin Grimes. I can't remember. But Maxi rotates off of his guy in the corner, comes up when there was already Melton blocking off the paint for Brunson, and just leaves open the corner three uh, three point shooter, and he hits the three. Like there's way too many mental errors at this point in his career for me to think that like the defense in the playoffs isn't going to be an issue. So I understand having multiple different options. It would be really, once again, it would be really nice if we just had to, we. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. Um, I've seen, I've seen Maxi, you know, make communication errors a lot. I think I really started to notice it this season. I think maybe I've just been so high on his offense for a couple of years. Um, one that I remember that I've, I see, a lot actually when he's on the court with Montrez Harrell, uh, his defense, his uh, assignment will drive baseline, and uh, Harrell rotates over or Niang rotates over, whoever it is playing there. Paul Reed rotates over, and Maxi fails to rotate back to that player's offensive player, and he's just wide open under the rim. I've seen it a couple times, and I'm like, you know, but he, he's young and he's worked on a lot of things offensively. I think maybe in in this upcoming offseason, that'll probably be his main focus. To you know what I mean? Uh, get better at communication and, and what you're supposed to do defensively to rotate and switch and help off ball and all those things. So, and you know. Joel, Joel playing with Joel can cover up a lot of your mistakes. I'll say that much. Oh, like absolutely. We, There's so we, many times guys get beat and Joel just pins the ball on the backboard. Like, you know, it's, and, and then you don't think about what the lapse was that got the guy the layup because exactly. Joel blocked the shot. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with, we we're seeing it with Seth Curry right now. Like Seth Curry is, you know, he's a little bit older now than he was when he was in Philly, but like he was a con- in the regular season, at least was a solid enough defensive player that he could survive because Joel cleaned up so many messes on the back line. And now it's like in Brooklyn, like he's like virtually unplayable on defense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let me, uh, like, let's look at George Niang in nine minutes, had a goose egg over five, over four from three. Uh, he, I think he, I think he was over in the last, game against the Orlando Magic also, or one of those games, maybe the one that they lost on Monday night, but uh, is Niang a, a playoff-level rotational player? And especially, too, when I see Doc put him and Trez on the floor together at the four and the five, I mean, God, it's a layup line, you know? And again, yeah. for Biggs, he doesn't have many options for, for, for backup centers and power forwards, but those two together, 
it's just a layup line. But I, I think the more I see of George Niang, I'm like, yeah, when he's hot and he gives you 18 points off the bench because he was five for seven from three, that's cool. But then you get these games where, you know, he, he's not giving you much of anything. Um, it, it's, I, I guess he has to be a, a rotation player in the playoffs. I mean, they don't have, you know, many more options unless something really, something really happens at this trade deadline to shake things up. But what do you think about George Niang and like maybe the rest of some of those bench players that, that, that are probably going to be playing in the playoffs, the eighth man, ninth man type of role? Uh, well, Niang is kind of, his value is entirely tied to the shot falling. Like, obviously on offense, he's, uh, you know, what, well, like I said, one of the best spot up shooters in the NBA. I think he was shooting like 42.5% on high volume from three coming into the night. But, you know, defensively, we know he's slow. We know that he, he can play. He's a smart defender, but he doesn't have the tools to be a good yeah. defender. And that, that is, and tonight, honestly, was not even a smart defender. He was fouling. He was, he was honestly another, uh, another terrible game from the egg. Uh, <laughs> is he a playoff level rotation player? Not one you can rely on. I would say he probably is more of a spot minute guy in the playoffs. Someone that you can put in there for 10 minutes and hope that he's hitting his threes and keeping the ball moving and, and surviving in certain defensive matchups. Like I think that there are certain teams that he just probably can't play against in the playoffs. Like, Oh yeah, for sure. Probably can't for, play Toronto Raptors or the Celtics. Like, I mean, Celtics. like, yeah, like uh, a, a team, you, one team you might be able to get away with it uh, is the bucks only because the bucks really lack a lot of guys that have the on, on the ball dribble, like creation to just kind of like exploit Niang in space. Like, Yang's actually played like weirdly had one game where he played like competent defense on Giannis. I'm not saying that's sustainable, but they uh, just don't really have like the horses to kind of make a guy like Niang completely unplayable on defense. Uh, and I think if they did upgrade that center position, uh, it certainly would, would help him because he can't play with Montrez. Like it's right, just, that's what I mean. Yeah. They, they like amplify each other's weaknesses. Sure. You can't have them both out there. Yeah. And like, I don't know the, the the recent history last year, year before when he was in Utah, when he was in Philly has shown he can't play deep into the playoffs. So like I, once again, the options that they have right now aren't great, but the thing that they have been sending to reporters and telling people is we want to back. We want to improve if possible, the, the backup wing in that Daniel house spot in the, in the George Niang spot. And then also the backup center. So like, I'm just going to throw his name out there because I've been kind of teasing it the whole time. But Jared Vanderbilt's someone that they've been tied to yeah. all season. Uh, I'm sorry, all, all week. Uh, mm -hmm. And he was someone that I've been saying for a while I feel like would be the kind of ideal fit for what they need. He is a very athletic four who can play small ball five in spot minutes. He can defend down to sometimes the two, usually the three. And he's a really good rebounder, great athlete. And he yeah. is a, just a has really good feel on both ends. Like he's basically, you know, when we got Melton, we're like, oh, this is like what Thibel provides up, but with playable offense. Yeah, he's essentially the big version of that, and that's mm -hmm. like he can provide secondary rim rim protection. He can really help the Sixers kind of with that added uh, element of athleticism, length, speed, all the stuff that we've been lacking, and he's like kind of low key a good passer for uh, a, a straight up four. So like he is kind of the ideal fit and the upgrade over the end. 
the one issue with him is that the shot is just it's not really there like he is a shooter who doesn't shoot or as a shooter he only shoots like one three per game and he only makes it at like a 33 34 point clip and before this year he never shot because he was playing basically a traditional big role when he was playing with carl anthony towns in minnesota because towns can space the floor so so long story short here a guy like Vanderbilt would be the perfect addition that would solve a lot of our issues, I think. I don't know if he's gettable at this deadline, but it would certainly be nice to have an alternative to Niang and also might be able to play with Joel and then when Joel sits as well. So that's the kind of guy that I'm looking for at this deadline. And I was really excited to see that they were interested in him because we've been yeah. talking about him for weeks. So. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it'd be nice if they did something like that. Um, yeah, I think a Vanderbilt is like, is like a maybe a smarter Paul Reed. I don't know for lack of better words. Like yeah, the, no, that's the, yeah. basically Paul Reed, if he didn't foul all the time, yeah, exactly. had better feel in terms of passing and in terms of where to be on the court. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, like with this game, this this loss to the Knicks, um, it, it's crazy. Like we've had we've had a some very highs and some very lows in just a couple of days after the Denver Nuggets game. It's like, wow, we can compete with the best teams in the NBA. We can beat the best teams in the NBA. Uh, I think we matched up well against the Denver Nuggets, and then you you run into some some uh, more difficult matchups. The Orlando Magic again, 10, 6, 11 dudes that can uh, run and rebound. So that was uh, the Orlando Magic are a bad matchup for a lot of teams. They beat the Boston Celtics three times this year. Um, and then this Knicks game, it, it's like we we – Again, we do play down to competition, um, and we play up to competition. But do you take this Knicks loss as like a serious thing? Does this tell you anything about the team going into the playoffs? Do you, and does it tell you like, oh my God, the way that we lost this game, we definitely have to do something at the trade deadline, or we're going to look exactly like we look tonight in the playoffs, and it's going to be a second round exit if they don't get something done at the trade deadline. You know what I mean? Well, two things. One, I've kind of felt this way about the team all season. Like, I felt like we knew the Montrez thing wasn't going to work in the playoffs. We knew that we needed a a a reliable kind of like the thing. The thing that, that I really like about a guy like Vanderbilt is like he he can play that big spot, that five spot, but he also is versatile enough and athletic enough that he can play the three or the four. He's mainly played the four, and I've always felt like that's the kind of Swiss Army knife guy that they need for this team because I feel like they're kind of, I feel like offensively they're kind of gonna be fine. Like I know that they have guys that are like like Thibel and Tucker that are offensively limited. Who knows if Thibel's even on the team? But I've always felt like this team, when we get to the playoffs, could just use another guy that can do the things like like the rim protector thing is something I've been talking about all season, and it's like. We need a second rim protector, and he and not having that has left just completely vulnerable when Embiid isn't on the court. And then if you, it's even better if you have a, a four who can also protect the rim, which PJ Tucker used to be able to do somewhat, but he can't do anymore. So, like I've kind of felt this way that they needed to make at least one upgrade, if not two upgrades, at the deadline and try to use. They don't have a ton to trade, which is the unfortunate right. part. But in reality. Maury makes a trade every single year. So I know that people are like, Maury's not going to do anything. And it's like, there has not been a year. Maury has been a GM where he did not make a trade at the trade deadline. Is it going to make a difference? I don't know, but he definitely will make a move, whether it's a small one or a, a sizable one. I'm, I'm not sure. But long story short here, I, I do think that 
if they don't get out of the second round, I don't know, know if it's even necessarily a failure of the team. Like, if right. they didn't make it out of the second round all those years before, like they did, like with the Hawks series, this is a different Eastern Conference. Like, yeah. it, it, it would be the first year that if they do lose in the second round, that it might just be the 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 three best teams in the NBA were in the Eastern Conference. Like it's possible that just Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly are the three best teams, and someone has to lose. So if I, I do think that's part of the reason why getting that one seed is so important, and it's I don't think they're going to get it because their schedule is brutal down the stretch. Yeah, but but like. I, I do think that if they do lose in the second round this year, I'm obviously going to be pissed and disappointed. And who knows? It could be the end. Like you, you can't lose in the sixth round, like five or six straight years and just no. have everything be fine. Like, like eventually it will wear on Embiid. It will wear on everyone. And I, I'm not trying to make excuses right now, but like if you lose to the Milwaukee bucks in the second round and then they go on to win the finals, like the Raptors did that year, it's different than when you're losing to the Hawks and the heat. And, th- and those kind of years. So, like, it, I, I guess my thing is, it's just a different context than what the East has been in the past. Yeah, for sure. I, I, but I, I do think that would still be a major disappointment just because you, we thought for a couple of years, and it was, uh, we had a major glaring issue, and that was a, a 6'11 point guard that won't shoot the ball and try to spread the floor and adapt or change his game at all to try to help the team. And then you you... Finally, that's over. You get James Harden. You get James Harden on a, a season where he got a full offseason of working out and getting in shape and, and getting his, his elevation back on his shot, which, by the way, tonight I think uh, was another James Harden hangover game. Uh, so we, we've had we've had two hangover – two out of three of the last games now have been James Harden hangover games. After the Eagles NFC Championship game, clearly a James Harden hangover game. And then a Sunday game. Like, I, don't, I know there wasn't a Monday uh, game. It was close enough to the daytime. That you're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 6 p.m. It's in New York. He's probably out with his boys in Manhattan last night. It's, it's, he doesn't even have a, I can see it clearly. He doesn't have any elevation on his shot. And he goes over four from three. And it's James Harden hangover game. It is what it is. I know people, when I say that, people are like, well, that you say that like that's an okay thing. An NBA player shouldn't be doing this, this, or this. You just have to live with NBA players. It's what they are. The reality of it. Yeah, yeah, they get paid $200 million. He does what he wants. He had flights. He had traveling schedules in Houston around like his favorite nightclubs. Like, yeah, that shouldn't happen. But he was so good when he wanted to be good that they just lived with it. They're like, we're, we're going to hopefully get the 36-point-per-game James Harden when we need him the most, and that's that's what it is. So I think he definitely does that. I think he was uh, he looked a little bit gassed tonight, like he looked on, on Monday night, uh, which is why I'm just not too worried about this loss. I saw what they can look like well-rested against the Denver Nuggets when they play up the competition and they're taking the game seriously. Madison Square Garden, New York Knicks, I think they should take that game seriously, and I think Joel Embiid took it seriously. He was just kind of getting his ass kicked on the boards a lot. Uh, the Knicks have some some young athletic rebounders. Again, it's what you know we tend to struggle with. But uh, yeah, James Harden hangover game, I think for sure. Well, like, what are the big games we've played recently? Because I've I've been saying time and time again, like this is this might be might be part of the the team's DNA. This might be part of the stars' DNA. Like that they just kind of are going to have these games like. That are kind of stinkers, to be honest. Like, uh-huh. like Harden, Embiid. Like, I mean, Embiid less so now. Like, especially during you know these kind of MVP level years, it's pretty rare that he has 
these kind of games. But they, I mean, they have gotten up for all of the big games recently. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Nuggets. They beat, uh, you know, I know the Nets didn't have KD, but like they, they have gotten up for the big games, which, you know, over the course of an 82 game season is uh, something that uh, you want to see your team do because it's easy to kind of sleepwalk through a ton of shit. But uh, once again, fundament- some things are fundamental issues and uh, it's up to the team and the stars of that team to kind of and the coach to like, yeah, we could we will definitely beat the Knicks in a playoff series. I will gladly put money on that. <laughs> And I, you know, I actually think the Knicks are a nice team, but like, the, right? I don't know. In in the first round of the playoffs, have when the Sixers are. I know it's a better Eastern Conference, but like, they don't have like they don't even have a Trey Young level star. Like, yeah. it's, Julius Randle's nice, but like he's a fringe All Star. Jalen Brunson's nice, but he's a sub All Star. Like, if Joel Embiid and James Harden are healthy for that series, there's no reason that they should not beat the Knicks. There's, yeah, tonight tonight you got you got a good. Julius Randle game in that fourth quarter, he was making some shots that I'm like, Julius Randle doesn't make these shots. The driving, throwing the ball, left-handed running hook shot, banks it in. Like some, some of those and some of the quick trigger threes that he takes. I call him left-handed Russell Westbrook a lot. He wants to be the star and take the, and, and take the big shots and he shoots the Knicks out of games all the time. So yeah, I, I just, I, I think Julius Randle is a, is, a, de- a deficit on a, on a team in the NBA. I just do. I know he can put up numbers. But when you really watch the Knicks and, and when it comes down to the fourth quarter and how they, they lose a ton of close games, a lot of it is always Julius Randle hogging the ball and trying to be a superstar. I'm not worried about a team with, with, with Julius Randle on it. That's just how, how I like feel I said, and then, and then we in a follow-up comment. And, and Oh, really? Was he? He, like, yeah, he, probably, he probably was trolling. I mean, but but uh, I was thinking that, though, throughout this game, like these kind of teams that, again, can out-rebound us and out-hustle us and stuff. Will we struggle with a team like this in the playoffs? When I really think about it, yeah, my answer would be no. Also, and we gave up uh, a season high to Evan Fournier. The, that was uh, re- that was really what killed me during the stream. I was like, you, if, if 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 Brunson goes off, okay. If Grimes goes off quickly, goes off, I can live with any of 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 the uh, Randall, whoever. Just uh, Evan Fournier hitting what four threes. Why has like, he been a Sixers killer his whole career? I swear to God, this guy won't go away. It doesn't matter what team he plays for. It's People always Evan Fournier. Sixers fans think he's good because he's been particularly <laughs> good against Sixers, and he's like not good at all. It's it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, he's, he, he's, I, he's I, I should I should preface that with he's good enough, or at least was good enough in the prime years of his career. He's a little bit older now, but he should not be able to play. But the Sixers should not be able to allow him to get to that point, especially the most frustrating part of that game to me was the fact that they weren't even attacking him on defense. And he has been known for being one of the most attackable defenders on switches in the NBA for like three years now. It's how Harden killed him in the Celtics series two years ago when he was on the Nets. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sixers lose. It is what it is. It's, uh, you know, you get to the second half of the season and we start to look at playoff seating and, uh, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It was annoying, and one of those magic losses was also annoying. And but I, I think, you know, we'll see what this t- what this team looks like after the trade deadline is going to give me a lot more, you know, be able to assess it a lot better than than right now because they have the same deficiency right now that I knew they had. Um, and it, it's always gonna it's always gonna come out against uh, certain matchups, the the backup center thing, and the and the just how much they fall off when Joel Embiid. Sit. So we'll see what they look like after the trade deadline. But before we get up out of here, I want to ask you this as just a general question. 
with this team and where they are right now in the past couple of years. If they, I personally, first of all, think the worst thing that could happen to the Sixers is getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and losing because I think then Doc Rivers gets credit for getting <laughs> to the Eastern Conference Finals and then he's still here for a couple more years and he's going to do what he's going to do. It's, it's just what I think about Doc Rivers. I, I just, uh, I, I have no faith really in a Doc Rivers-led basketball team unless they have overpowering star uh, makeup on their roster like that. For, 2008 for, future, for future Hall of Famers, including uh, yeah. Prime KG and Pierce. So yeah, yeah. So if they don't get out of the second round, Doc's one hundred percent gone, right? I mean, I mean there's just no who way they, they would. To? Who are they losing to in the second round? Are they losing to Boston or Milwaukee? I don't, I don't think it should matter. I think that that is. So I've said I've been saying all season, the only way Doc is here as head coach next year is if they make the conference finals or they lose a close like seven game series to Boston or Milwaukee. And honestly, I still think Doc would be gone if that were the case, only because I think that they have to re-sign Harden after the year. And Harden needs to be convinced that Doc is a coach that is worthy of getting to a finals or whatever. So that's probably, and also just generally speaking, like, I don't know, trading a coach or cutting a coach, firing a coach is just easier than moving a star or blowing up your roster. Like, it's just historically been like the easier move. So I, I would say just best based on like the precedent of Daryl Morey, the precedent of the NBA in general, I would be pretty surprised if Doc is the coach next year unless they make it to the conference finals. But if they lose to anyone but Boston or Milwaukee in the playoffs, they're he's gone immediately. Like I think he would be fired the next day. Like I don't think it would be like if they lost to the Cavs, it's over. If they lose to the fucking net somehow or the heat again uh it's over like they they have to be they have to have at least one or two good playoff series win with doc for him to stay around and honestly i i still do think they can beat anyone in the east but boston like yeah i'm just convinced boston is going to be a bad matchup and i think that they're the best team one through eight and that we're not going to be able to match up with their depth and honestly like Jason Tatum is just always going to be a fucking pain in the ass for us. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that they can beat any other team. Uh, you know, Milwaukee is going to be really tough. I think that they would need to get some luck in a Milwaukee series to win, whether it's injury or shooting luck or whatever it is. I think that they would need some serious luck on their side. But but those are the, the, the only team I think they can't beat in the East is Boston. And I think that they can at least compete or beat ev- with everyone else. Yeah, that's a good question, uh, Dodo. Thanks for throwing that comment out there because that kind of feeds off of the topic that we were just on. Basically, if the Sixers lose in the second round, is Doc Rivers still here? Um, I think I don't know how much pressure from the fan base Joshua Harris cares about. You know what I mean? Like that—that's a thing for me too. I know the fans would be irate. They would be fire, fire Doc, uh, throwing like protests down the street. Does Josh Harris care what the fans think? Uh, Josh Harris only cares what the fans think when the money starts to go down because that's just what they are. They're, they're, they buy, they invest in a basketball team. Their goal is to make a profit. You invested in the basketball team when they were terrible. You, you, you sold the hope of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, on and on and on so you could jack up the ticket prices, make your profit. That's what it is. So when you start to get to this end of the process thing, 
And, you know, uh, Scott O'Neill and, and some other guys already sold their shares. They were like, this this might go up in flames now. I got to get out before my stocks go down versus where they're at right now. So I do think if if he starts to see a bleak future, you know, with, with the, the fan base being angry about where the team is at, then he would move on from Doc Rivers. I... I can't see them losing in the second round and Doc Rivers being here the next season. I just can't, absolutely can't see that happening. I, it, it, even if it's the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks, I just could not imagine. We lose in the second round again. We're supposed to be a championship-level contender. We have Joel Embiid. We have James Harden. We lose in the second round again. You, you, the coach would have to be gone. If they lose in the second round and he's back here next year, I might take a year off from covering the Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so serious. I don't think I can do it again. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. I also, just back to the Embiid point, uh, I mean, look, everything that's been said by media and like people with real inside information, Joel doesn't want to leave. And Joel wants to be a Bradley Beal. <laughs> he wants to be a Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, Dirk Nowitzki. He wants to be that guy that plays for one team for his whole career. But at a certain point, age, uh, you know, if the team runs out of resources, if Harden ages out, if uh, you know they just don't really have enough pieces to put around him, it's something that the team is really going to have to start thinking about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, where do we want to go with this? And 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 once again, firing the coach is the easiest way to sell that to your star players. I'm not. Someone said in the comments, "Oh, does Harden uh, hate Doc?" No, Harden doesn't necessarily hate Doc. But how do you convince someone to come back after you flamed out in the second round again? Like yeah. you have to have something that's different. You have to have a like a uh, philosophical difference in your approach to the game, and Doc is not going to have that. He never will change his philosophy. He is who he is as a coach, and yep. uh, the way that you sell it to Embiid and Harden and whoever is that. And then at a certain point, it's possible that you know maybe Embiid gets sick of losing in the second round and he asks out, or they have to trade him, or whatever it is. But for now, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that the team, like, I, I think they need to make one or two uh, upgrades. And I think that the, the the most likely outcome is probably losing in the second round again. But they have potential to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and Finals if things break their way. Yeah, I think you could say, and I think us saying that a lot of things have to go right to get to the NBA Finals could, could be applied, can be applied to any NBA team, any professional sports team, any team. A lot of things have to go right to get to the Finals. You have to stay healthy. In basketball, your shots have to go in versus rimming out. I mean, there's just it. It's a it's a there's a lot of fortunate involved. There's a lot of fortune involved in the game of basketball. If you're hot shooting and, and you're on a roll and your momentum is there and your team chemistry is there and you're and you're, you're hot at the right time, you can make a run. If if you know you can fall short the same the same way. I just think like well, you got to stay healthy. You got to have these things go right. That's true. But I think it's true for, you know, any team to really reach the finals in, in any sport. Um, I guess I have a hot take right now, and I, I've had this hot take before. The Sixers lose in the second round this season. I don't think they would blow it up, but I would ponder it if I was the GM or the uh, if I was the owner or if I was in charge. I would ponder it because you're capped out you don't have a lot to work with as far as trying to change the roster drastically. Uh, James is 33. I would ponder it. I would ponder so, it. And also, for me, 
watching the same thing for four years, whatever it is, the Doc Rivers thing or just not getting there, it gets boring for me. I'd be fine with starting over. I'd be I'd be ready to go. I'd be ready to get on tankathon.com and start watching the top of the draft. I'd be ready to go. I'd have more things to talk about. <laughs> it would be more. I don't know, I'm getting I'm getting bored. If they lose again in the second round, I'm bored with the Sixers. That's well, you got to really you got to really lean into the tank if you want to do another process because they already <laughs> sent out their 25 and 27 first round picks. Oh god! But but they're top five protected. They're top uh they're top five yeah. protected both years, I believe. So you so really like, got a tank. You ha- you can't be mediocre. <laughs> you have to be bad, bad, or you have to want to compete. But I'll, I'll I'll leave it on this. Uh, we we went through a lot to get to this point, and it does suck. It feels like they might have missed their opportunity or their window to kind of create a deep enough team that has the right pieces around these guys. Just kind of a ton of whiffs over and over, whether it's on talent evaluation or selling on a guy too early like Jeremy Grant or uh, you know missing out on the Jimmy Butler thing after one year whatever it is the only thing I could see if if they go the only way they're blowing it up is if Joel Embiid requests a trade that's it bottom line they're not going to blow it up without that but you're right yeah and that's that's that could also be very possible he could be like that's what I was saying earlier but the the only other thing I think that I think that what would be other than firing Doc which is just like your natural like Fire the coach because you need to sell your stars and your team on a new idea. Uh, is if Tyrese Maxey's value is still what it could be, which who knows what it is right now in terms of a trade. Maxey and Tobias's expiring contract, and then you can trade after the season if you remove protections from the picks that you already have sent out. You could trade two first round picks for a star. So you could trade your 29 pick and your 31 pick, which Maybe those have no value because they're way too far out and no one gives <laughs> yeah. a shit. But it's possible, and it's possible that uh, I mean, dude, we just saw in the span of one year, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> James yeah. Harden, a number of guys moving teams, and it happens every off season. So I'm not saying I don't think they could be in the conversation for Kevin Durant. I just don't think they have enough, and I also don't think that the Nets would like the optics of making that trade because of the Harden thing and because of the division thing and whatever. But yeah. if there is a Paul George, Jimmy Butler, a lower level super superstarish player that asks out after the season, then that's kind of your last move. And maybe those guys are too old, to be honest, to even go after. But if there's anyone that's out there that you could potentially pursue, you kind of have to look at that option because otherwise then Embiid's the clock is really ticking if they lose again this year. Yeah, and we we have to kind of accelerate the clock a little bit too with with being a a, a 285 pound 7 foot 1, you know, monster, you know. It sucks it sucks and people don't want to think that, but 29 years old, you know, it, it, I don't I don't want to predict anything, but it could be 32, 33, it could be clearly, you know, the end of his career. Realistically, could be at that age sure. for Joel Embiid. Now, I do think his game, if he stays healthy, is going to age well because he can shoot. He doesn't rely necessarily on like high flying athleticism and things like that, where a lot of players, you know, like a Russell Westbrook or whoever else you want to throw out there, that once the athleticism starts to slow down, he has he can't rely on on an outside shot to keep his game going. Um, but yeah. I, you know that's that's where I'm at with it, uh, with the with the Embiid thing and and this team, and if they lose again in the second round and all of those things. Um, let's go there before we get out of here with the with the Kyrie Irving thing. We might as well. I'd like to get your opinion on the situation. I personally, when when 
when they signed Durant and Kyrie, and and I said right away, those two together, it's a disaster. It's not going to work. I, I and they got a lot. They've gotten along a lot better than I thought they were going to get along. I said in two weeks these guys are going to be fighting on the sideline, and then they trade the farm for James Harden, and I thought that was just the most ridiculous thing to do. To, uh, like seriously ridiculous when you think about it. Who di- who makes the decision to do that? There's only one ball. It doesn't make sense really to give up all of your depth. Oh, for- also, but if Harden doesn't get hurt and Kyrie doesn't get hurt, we're probably talking about a championship level team. I didn't now, think so. I didn't think so. They were terrible defensively, and I don't think they were deep enough. I just don't. They were up I, I don't. Nothing in the Bucks series, and the Bucks won the title. It's true. It's true, but. The Hawks would have been waiting for them in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Suns were waiting for them in the Finals if they win. That's true. That, that, that road to the that, road to the. That's what I'm saying. Right. That was, yeah. that, by the way, might be even more Mickey Mouse than the actual Mickey Mouse ring that was won <laughs> in Disney. But it is. We're probably talking about them as champions if if both Harden and Kyrie don't get hurt. So, you know, you could look at it as yeah. both sides. I personally thought it was a fine move at the time. I just thought that pushing in all your chips is not the worst move in the world when you have one of the five best players on the planet. Uh, and, you know, look, it didn't work out. It was a gamble they took. Uh, but I I don't know. I think that we, we're we we're looking at the results of it now, and and I, I really think they should have won the title that year. Yeah, yeah you're probably right about that. Um, something just always seems to happen when you, when you have Kyrie Irving on your team. Something sure. just always seems to happen. Cancer Kyrie, as I as I call him, <laughs> um, and this time, why do you think he requested a trade anyway? He requested a trade last year, and yeah. it didn't happen. And he and he just does it again. And this time, the Nets were like, "All right, we're we're kind of over the Kyrie thing. Let's just get what we can for him." Um, and I don't know how you feel about what they got for him, um, but yeah, it's it's just. Kyrie Irving to me, it's he's such a polarizing player because he's one of the best scorers I've ever seen in my life. He's he just yep. does amazing things on the court. He's a magician, but he just I doesn't care. He just doesn't yeah. care about basketball, and yeah. his his focus is on other things. And it's it's been that for a while. Uh, so you know, what do you do? What do you do with Kyrie? So that so they they decide to to pull the trigger and trade him. Uh, and then the dynamic of of the experiment now in in uh in Dallas with Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving. Uh, what do you think about that also? So, uh, Kyrie, yeah, definitely true. I mean, Kyrie's just, uh, you never know what you're going to get. It's like, he changes his mind every five minutes, which is something that is being under discussed here that a week ago, he said a week or two ago, he said that he wanted to sign an extension and play the rest of his career with the Nets. And then within a week requested a trade and got a trade. So I don't really know what you do. He's an amazing, amazing talent. And I, as I said, a magician, it, probably one of the most aesthetically pleasing players to watch yes. basketball. Such a good player. way to put it, dude. Such yeah. a good way to put it. The clips of him in like slow motion, just like gliding down the court yeah. and then the Euro up and under like English off the glass. Yeah, it's yeah, you're right. He has the greatest handle I've ever seen. And he is a, once again, a magician. Having said that, it's really tough to win with a guy that isn't bought all the way into what you're doing. And it is a massive risk of the Dallas Mavericks to take right now to trade for a guy halfway through a season when he's expiring at the end of the year, just as we said, he's completely unpredictable. Now he does have a relationship with Jason Kidd. He does have a relationship with Nico uh, Harrison, their GM 
who used to work for Nike and, and knew him through there. So there's at least that. And I think that he has a respect of Luca, but because of the fact that he didn't get that extension, like the guy's saying in the comments right now, he didn't get that extension last summer. And then he didn't get the full extension this time. He basically said, you know what? I want to move on. That's the reason why he forces the trade. I don't really blame the Nets for not wanting to give him the extension. Like, no, I don't either. How do you commit yourself to someone who has not committed to you? Like that That's my whole thing with this situation. I don't blame them. Overall, I think for the circumstances, both teams, like, because I think everyone's going to look at it through the Nets perspective because this could effectively end the window with KD, like, as a for a championship. Oh, yeah. But also, you kind of have to look at it from the Mavs perspective, too, where, like, I really think there's a real possibility that Luca could have been the next star to ask out, and they were willing to take the risk to get a talent like Kyrie in the in the building to say, fuck it, let's at least make a move this year that will put us in the conversation for the championship. Because right now, we're not in it. We It's Luca, a bunch of role players, and the second mm-hmm. Luca gets hurt, ev- everything kind of falls apart. So I, I do think that it is a calculated risk, and they didn't give up that much, although two starting-level players in a first-round pick isn't nothing. From a team that already had defensive issues to lose Dorian Finney-Smith, by far their best defender, and a very valuable 3 and D player as a wing, it's going to be tough for sure. Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, obviously you just replace Spencer Dinwiddie with Kyrie Irving and you're way better. That's just (laughs) the reality. If he stays on the court, and this version Mm -hmm. of Spencer Dinwiddie, I should say, he's a little bit older. He's not quite the player he once was. But from the Nets perspective, you have a guy who was basically trying to ruin the team for years asked out right before his contract expires and you get back at least two rotation players and a future first round pick. And I don't think the Nets are done. I think they're going to try to make the trade this week that either gets Ben Simmons out of there and gets back role players. If they include two first round picks to send that out, or they try to make a move where they move one of the guys they got in that trade. They expand the trade until basically so that they can move on from that guy and include picks in that and then make an improvement as well so like i don't think the nets are done and i think that the mavs and nets were just kind of both in unfortunate circumstances and made the best of it well and and kevin durant who's you know publicly spoken out about the roster around him at a certain point this season you know he was like everybody expects us to to win and me to lead the team but look who i'm playing with and i don't i don't know if i've ever heard a player just say that about his team publicly before uh, does Kevin Durant stay around for all of those things happening? You know what I mean? Or in the next 48 hours, do we get a Kevin Durant uh, trade also? You know what I mean? Because I, I just, I don't see Kevin Durant. If he wasn't happy in the beginning of the season, now Kyrie's gone. Uh, I don't think Durant is a big fan of of the Ben Simmons situation. I don't think either of them were. I think Kyrie was hated it. Kyrie, the, the one thing I really liked about the, Ben going there was I knew Kyrie Irving was going to yell at him. And I knew it. And I was like, finally, he's going somewhere where somebody's going to yell at him, shoot the damn ball. And it happened. It happened a couple of times where you could literally hear it. Yeah. On TV. And that was great for me. I've wanted that to happen for a long time. (laughs) It should always, it should always happen. Let's not hide what we're, what, what shoot the ball, you know? So, uh, but uh, Durant being left there with, with Ben, you know, do you, does Durant say, Hey guys, like, do I actually have to say trade me too? like trade me too, bro. I'm out of here also. And with the Ben Simmons trade, you have to throw in first round picks because nobody's taking that contract for a six eleven screen setter. It's sure. just you know, yeah. I mean, you can. The idea that we've been talking about is like, can you just get Jakob Pertl and Josh Richardson from the Spurs 
and send two first round picks with Ben Simmons. At least you get two rotation players that you can somewhat trust in the playoffs. Like, I, I mean, you can't trust Ben at all. He's no. he's faking an injury. Like, like that that's what's happening right now. Like, they made him get an MRI and it came back clean. Like, I I don't really know. Like, and, and as you said, KD's not interested. I I would say it's funny because I keep saying, oh, there's no way Hart KD gets traded in season. But I also thought the same thing about Harden last year. And I also thought the same thing about Kyrie as of three days ago. So you just never know with the Nets. Now, there are going to be a lot of offers out there. I, I actually think this is going to screw up the trade market because I think the teams that were in on guys like OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam are just going to be like, we'll wait until the summer and see if we can get Kevin Durant instead. Yeah. So that's that's good. That's unfortunate for the Toronto Raptors. But I, I personally think that uh, will probably they'll probably just be like, look, we're going to put the best team around you we can possible this year, and then we'll re- we'll talk about it again in the offseason if it doesn't work out. And who knows? Durant might just say no, trade me now, and we see Durant on another team, and it shakes up the entire league again. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out in a couple of days. So you know, hey, this is the this is the, one of the most fun times of the NBA, man. Right around the it's trade so deadline, it's just yep, it's absolute craziness. Uh, yeah, so that, that uh, was fun today. So I just want to say, if you are interested, follow my uh, page on the day of the trade deadline. We're streaming for seven hours, <laughs> so we're gonna straight. We're gonna. I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna stream until the deadline. Wow. So we're gonna be going seven hours long. You know, ball with Troll Bro, dude. Follow us on YouTube and playback. We're gonna be going on there. Yeah, I'll put the I'll put the links in the description to uh, Thanks, you know ball podcast and the YouTube channel and everything for for those that want to follow uh, that seven hour stream. Or pop in when you know, pop in whenever, yeah. and he'll be up, you know, the whole day. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a fun one. But anyway, man, hey, look, thanks for coming in, Trill Bro, dude. Again, this was fun. It's always fun, man. We'll do it again. Sixers lose to the Knicks, uh, and we're gonna have a, a better assessment of this team after Thursday. Let's see what they do. Let's get it. Thanks, bud. Hey, yeah, brother. Take Peace. it easy. Later, everybody. Hit the like button. Wait, test me. Test me, test me, test me, test me, test me.